Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today's guest is Stephanie Miller. Stephanie's most recent role includes Global Technology Innovation Lead at the iconic $25.9 billion Mondelez International. You may know Mondelez as the maker of Oreos, Wheat Thins, Trident, and one of my personal favorites, Sour Patch Kids. What you might not know, though, is that they're an innovative company that uses technology and creative strategy to meet their purpose of empowering people to snack right. Thank you for being here today, Stephanie. Thanks, Adam. Happy to be here. Can you give listeners some insights into your career journey? Absolutely. So I started my career in tech consulting, and I spent several years really refining that skill set, um, exploring several different industries before having an opportunity to pivot into more of a internal strategy role, which is when I joined Mondelez International just a little over five years ago. In that space, I had the opportunity through our strategic planning process to always evaluate on an ongoing basis, mega trends, see what peer companies were doing, and innovation always came up. Um, it's now been just a little over two years when it started to become a real opportunity to make that my next career move and the next role, and um, slowly was able to do a test and learn with innovation itself and then really move into making that my career focus. So with your deep consulting background, um, what parts of that prepared you for your role at Mondelez? You know, consulting is such a foundational type of job when you're really starting your career. Um, I remember being pitched that it was this great opportunity to learn really quickly a bunch of different things, have some time to explore. But what I didn't really take into account was all the soft skills I'd really get from it. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, figuring out how to lead in ambiguity, being able to get really uncomfortable with just being uncomfortable and just figuring out how to know that you can figure out on the spot different solutions on the fly, those skills to me are things I use on a daily basis because innovation is disruption. Disruption is change and change is all of those items. It's ambiguity. It's being uncomfortable. Well said. So I'm curious, when you first started your consulting career, you I'm sure like many consultants were across multiple industries, or did you, did you just focus on CPG at that point? So funny enough, I never worked in CPG when I was at doing consulting. Interesting. Um, I, I worked in, I would honestly say, every other industry under the sun, yeah. um, but did not have an opportunity to work in CPG. Um, and I think most consultants think that through working there, you're going to get this opportunity to go and pivot into a client that you're actually servicing. For me, it had nothing to do with that. It became just a local Chicago company knowing I wanted to get off the road and a great opportunity to work in a global tech strategy role that really pushed me to Mondelez. It wasn't actually the industry. Interesting. So, it, you know, especially now during this time, 
Mondelez comes to mind is usually top of mind for me because you you all do such a great job of marketing, especially seasonal products or se- seasonal marketing themes. I just I was in the store the other day and saw kind of spring themed Oreos, which I thought was I instantly thought of Mondelez. Um, but but there's also some expansion that that's been happening around kind of environmental uh, innovation. Uh, Mondelez recently announced their move to a new location in the city. Uh, how do you think about the new environment, and how, how do you think of it as it relates to innovation specifically? So the move to the city couldn't come at a better time and a more exciting time. Um, just last year, we also announced our new strategy of Snacking Made Right. And with that strategy, directly from the top, there was a couple key things that were very loud and clear. One is this move to a test-and-learn culture. As someone working in innovation at the time, it was music to my ears. And then the second piece was this move to a more consumer-centric growth strategy. Both of those things, to me, fundamentally for innovation, are just so many opportunities at our door, as well as moving from a suburban to an urban setting. We now not only have consumers directly outside our doors, but we have entrepreneurs too. So to me, it's so many more opportunities, and I can't wait to see where things go, knowing that that move downtown is going to just open up so many new doors. Absolutely. One of the things that I love about what you said, the test and learn strategy, can we talk a little bit about that and, and deep dive a little bit into what that means and how you would describe that? Absolutely. So test and learn to me is really the process of starting with a proof of concept, being able to just start really small with something. Even if you have a really big idea, take a small chunk off, really test and figure out if there's real value and potential there. And then as you start to see where it goes, sometimes it's pivoting to something totally different. Sometimes it's a quick success and you start to move forward, but it usually then can quickly pilot and move into something that's real and that then will allow you to scale something. But by doing test and learn, it actually allows you to quickly pivot and see if what your original idea was is the idea that you actually want to move forward with. Fantastic. So Mondelez markets products in over 165 countries and has over 83,000 employees. With the company that large, how do you manage innovation at scale? You know, when we think about innovation at scale, it's easy to just think about a big pool of ideas and a bunch of projects just happening all over the world. Um, but what I think we found really early on is important is to really segment it into the different types of innovation and the phases that you're at. Um, so for innovation for us, we really break things into four phases. One being ideation, two being opportunity analysis, three being test and learn like we just talked about, and four being scale. And the reason why those phases are so important is because all of our different business leaders are at different spots in their innovation journey. And that can be with just their understanding, or it can be with their individual project that they're wanting to move forward with. And so when we created these phases, we wanted to create something that would resonate with all of our leaders, whether they're working in sales or marketing or supply chain or even finance, um, that were just simple terms that they would be able to say, okay, you know, I have a business problem, but I don't know where to start. Great, we're in ideation. Let's actually do an immersion session or an innovation day. Bring the outside in and tell you what disruptive technologies may be able to help you. Or if they're further along and they already know what they're wanting to solve for, we may be able to go directly to our ecosystem and do vendor scouting. 
And then on the flip side, we sometimes have opportunities where people come to us, they actually know their idea, they know who they want to partner with, and they just need help getting it going. And we've got agile project managers that have experience working with startups that can really just bring it to life. So um, to me, being able to manage it at scale is really having the agility on our side to be able to take projects at any point in time in the innovation life cycle and be able to bring them in and use our expertise to make them come to life even faster. I love that. And one thing I want to highlight, for especially for the listeners, is really around the process. You mentioned it early on. You have quite a few brands that, that you manage, and every single department or um, product owner might be at a different stage within their, their innovation journey that you mentioned. And I think that's so important related to scale because so many large companies, small companies don't have that burden, but large companies have to deal with this challenge of, okay, we've got a, a part of our organization that, that resides on this side of the world, one side that resides in this side of the wor- world, maybe they're managing two different products, um, in, in thinking through the different stages that they go through in order to hit them on the innovation journey, how how would you what advice would you give to somebody who who might be managing that process to date in terms of how they would solve for that? So managing the process today, I'd say, is lead with an open mind um, because everybody has a different state, and you know what's interesting working for such a global organization is sometimes our CMO in one region and the CMO in a different region have completely different viewpoints. And you almost have to lead internally and treat everybody, even though it's all Mondelez and it's all the same business, you almost have to think of it like they're different businesses. And you need to be willing to have a seat at the table and really take a step back and think about how your expertise can help them move forward and not prescribe to them what you've done somewhere else. You really need to start and be willing to be creative alongside them because the second that you say, oh, that doesn't fit this box, they're going to just do it on their own and they're not willing to partner with you. And the, I'd say the sweet sauce of how we've been successful is that we are willing to not only work and collaborate and be creative with these teams, but we aren't necessarily putting them into the box of having to do it one way. And what we are also doing is we're creating processes internally to help things move faster. So we worked with our procurement and legal organization to figure out how we could change our payment terms that we usually make most our vendors abide to for startups to be a little different because the reality is, is you can't wait four months to have a check when you're working with a startup. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about innovation, and, and I'm sure there's a ton of success stories within Mondelez, but does one resonate more than another? You know, I had a feeling you were going to ask this, so I was thinking a little bit about some of the success we've had this year, and you know, one story I'd like to talk about is of a local startup, Four Kites. So it's a transportation visibility company, and working with them started with me very much To me, it's a perfect example of how you'd like to see the business come to us. It started with our executive leader of supply chain noticing that we had a problem, asking why we didn't have visibility to certain transportation assets. And then instead of us partnering with that team to just say, how can we 
get visibility and give this one-time snapshot, we started saying, well, let's look into the startup world. Let's look into our ecosystem and see what else are people doing, whether it's startups or traditional strategic partners, to see how they can help us leapfrog in this space. And um, during that whole assessment is when we actually ended up identifying four kites. And then once we started working with them, I wish I could say once we said this is the match, two weeks later they're on the ground and it was running. The reality was you know, it took about a month, I think, even just to get off the ground, get all the contracting done. And then we were able to start working directly with them, getting all of our assets for our pilot underway and um, saw immediate results during that validation period so quickly that we were able to then have the conversation of how can we scale this in North America? And now we're having conversations with saying, how can we scale this in Latin America? And that, to me, is a great success story because it started with both business and IT sponsorship saying, we have a problem, how can we solve it? And people getting collaboratively together to figure out who the best team was and being willing to work very differently with a startup here locally in Chicago to make an impact not just in Chicago, but for all of the Americas for us. So for the listeners that are inspired by that story because I, I would imagine that that everybody listening um, can can agree that that is a major success story. There, there's multiple stakeholders. You talked about business and IT and the startup world. If somebody isn't 100% positive how to get that process rolling within the organization, specifically with connecting with a startup, what recommendations do you have for them in terms of doing that? Or, or how did you approach that? Because um, there's multiple ways you can certainly connect with startups and certainly different ecosystems you can tap into. But what recommendations would you give the listeners? Um, so if you're trying to wear your innovation hat and figuring out how to bring that different type of ecosystem into a company, the biggest thing to me is starting really with a core business problem, not an idea or a solution, not saying, I want to use this technology to solve this problem, but actually taking a step back and saying, what is the problem itself? And once you're able to identify that problem, you can then start figuring out what those opportunities are versus just prescribing it. And is it just a matter of going out and doing a Google search on, on different technologies that exist and working backwards or tapping into different scenarios? You know, uh, it's a great point. So it, it's not that quite that clean cut. I wish it was easy as just a Google search. <laughs> but um, so part of the process of building our innovation team was creating an ecosystem. And that ecosystem of partners spanned from startup incubators and accelerators um, at different parts of the world. It has global strategic partners that we use already on the tech front, as well as we're trying to build the academia front as well. Um, that ecosystem of partners, we you tend to, it, it's a little bit of a matching game of figuring out where, depending on what market you're in or what type of solution you're looking for, but really getting out there and leveraging that ecosystem to see what they can help you with to solve that problem. Um, sometimes it's as easy as you just networking and talking to startups and trying to figure out who could be the right fit and just making that connection at the right time. But a lot of times you don't have a startup in mind and you need to leverage those partners to really help almost crowdsource and figure out who could be the right player to come in and help disrupt in the space. Um, the other piece for us though is once you've got that startup, that's really just the beginning because you can use that startup to be a creative mind to really help 
take that idea and make it go even further. But there's a lot of other tools and processes that you need to take into mind in order to go from that original idea to get it to a point where you can scale. Um, so with that, I guess my other recommendation is is not only is you need to build an ecosystem and you, it's not quite a Google search because you're not going to get necessarily the uh, right folks at the right place the right time there, but it's also trying to build what process works within your confinement or within your walls. And for us, it was this starting with ideation, recognizing the need to do a true opportunity analysis, see where their numbers were, think about scale, even though you're not scaling yet, before you diving into that test and learn and then eventually scale. Gotcha. And in some, am I right by saying some of those, um, I guess the, the network ecosystem that you have is, is tapping into people or is it more of a system or is it a combination? Meaning I, I know some companies have a procurement system where they have all of their startup vendors that are tagged differently based on their individual um, products or services, and it makes that much easier to find. Or is it you know, a, a literally a, a matter of tapping into um, human capital network? So it's, it's a mixture of things. Um, you know, the biggest tool we have on our side is building great relationships with large incubators like 1871 here or other accelerators that exist in other parts of the world because going through them, you're able to talk to their corporate innovation partners and they usually can point you in the right direction much quicker than you going out to Google or just trying to talk to folks and see who knows who. Um, the other piece is, I will say, is we are trying to work internally on building an innovation platform that will allow us to communicate with everybody in our ecosystem so we can help with that crowdsourcing. Um, because I would love to say that it's some automated process today that once we get an idea approved in our funnel, we shoot a note out and there's a system that contacts a million people and you know the process just kicks off from there. The reality is, is it's still very manual. So it, it's, it's conversations. It's putting your head together with a bunch of different teams, seeing who has that right match based on the maturity of who those sponsors are. And each time it's a little bit different. Um, but we are trying to build a platform that will allow us to do that much more effectively in the future. Fantastic. So speaking of digital platforms and, and technology, people that think about food companies don't typically think about them as technology companies. Can you talk a little bit about the role of technology and, and how it's um, uh, working to Mondelez's advantages as it relates to innovation? Absolutely. So several years ago, we made the conscious decision and again, I'm actually putting on my tech strategy hat at the moment, um, to not be a traditional back office IT organization, but to be an IT organization that partners with the business. At the time, we called it our empowering growth strategy. And the intention was is that we believed that we sat at a unique vantage point in the organization where we see all the different functions. We see the silos, we see where things break down, and there was no better player to help disrupt and bring digital in than us. So we fought for seats at table with each of our different functions. And then over time, what that's been able to do is it's really helped us as we've started this innovation journey because we're already part of those strategic conversations and now we can infuse it with innovation. And then a second point I'll call out is just our consumers have changed. So the way that our consumers buy food, um, think about snacking, get inspired, everything they do around um, their day-to-day activities has changed. So since our consumers are more digital, we recognize that we also need to be more digital 
as a company. And we've been embarking on a larger digital transformation. And that, to me, is very much tied to innovation as well, because innovation is such an accelerator for how you can move that digital threshold. Do you have any tips for listeners on how to stay ahead of the technology curve? I don't have a great... I I wish I had a wonderful tip that was going to send you off to go do something totally different than what you do today. But my best advice is just read and ask questions. To me, the second that you stop being inquisitive and you stop reading and learning is the second that you're behind. Um, You may have been an expert in one technology or one process a year prior, but at this day and age... The second that you know something, it's already stale. That's right. I love that because it's it's just blocking tackling, right? The, Absolutely. The mastering the basics. So on the technology front, what's the one technology that you can think of that, that you believe is going to have the biggest impact on the CPG space? So if I had to pick one, I'd say machine learning. And the reason why I say machine learning is not because we've got a thousand initiatives in our pipeline today that are all about machine learning but more because the potential of all of the solutions that we have in our pipeline are bringing in data like we've never seen before. And as you get better at getting good, clean data and using those analytics to make more predictive decisions, machine learning can pivot things that we didn't even realize were pivotable in the past. And I'll actually tie this to, we talked about four kites earlier and what we were doing um, in the transportation visibility space. Well, today, what we're scaling, we're scaling something that puts sensors so we have all of our assets in one location and have that visibility, and we're able to have flags when we see issues in that space. Well, in the future, if you start to think about what that next layer is when you add on machine learning, is you can say, what legacy data is in this tool that shows you know, what happened when we had these flags, what environmental factors could influence so that it may be a different solution, and you can autonomously do tests and learns on the fly and figure out what the right decision is. So that, to me, is you, know, you take one initiative that we've got today that's been a success, and you almost reinvent it through machine learning, and you make it even bigger success as in the future. I love that. Do you have an example... Um Internally or externally on the machine learning front, another example that you could give um, around the power of machine learning? So this is a sales example. Um, We have an awesome pilot happening right now um, that is around suggested orders. And so our sales force today, when they're out there and they are making sales on the ground, today they're using their knowledge to figure out what they should be recommending off of prior orders. Um, what we've been implementing is an ability for to actually make suggestions of what else they should be ordering. So it could be trends in the area, environmental factors, holidays, whatever it may be, to say that based off these purchases that they made last time, we're recommending that they actually also add this to their docket. Think of it almost like at the checkout line when you see all the food and candy that's staring right in front of you mm-hmm. and you last second are going, oh, that's there. That's a good idea. I'll take that too. We're trying to implement that for our sales team so that they can make even better decisions on the fly. love that. So most of the technologies we've talked about probably can make an impact immediately uh, in our really near term. Do you have any bold predictions that you can make about the future of CPG? So I've talked a little bit about this move to being more consumer-centric. To me, 
I really think that the next wave of innovation is starting experience first. So when you look at um, how we do innovation today with products and moving to more of that experience first innovation, I think that we're going to see a whole new world of products and how people buy and why they buy something. Um, and I'll even give an example for this because to kind of make it more real. Um, we did a pilot in China, partnering with Alibaba, um, with something called Oreo Music Box. It eventually came here to the States over the holidays. Uh, but what this music box is, is it is a cardboard and plastic little record player that you put your Oreos on it, move the little arm on, just like old-fashioned record player, and it actually plays music. And as you take bites out of that Oreo and you put it back, it plays different songs. So this innovation to me is not about the product. It was about this experience. And I will tell you guys, like my almost two-year-old twins, when their eyes lit up that as they took bites, songs were changing, I mean... You, I wish you could have seen their faces. They were just completely enthralled with this whole idea that if you know how small of the bites could they be, or playing around with um, what would actually make it change the next song, and that to me, creating that experience through gifting that is so different than what we've done in the past. That's really much more of a packaging thing, um, but it was using our same product, so it was reigniting our current brands through experience. Um, on the flip side, I think from a bold statement, I think we'll start to see us actually create new products that come from an experience vision to start with. Interesting. I love that. And it, it's really around engaging the audience, right? And, and extending the brand messaging through that, that in, uh, experience. Absolutely. I mean, I think, and again, this is, this is me speaking, right? Like this is my bold prediction or whatnot, but I really think that being able to connect with with our consumers and seeing what they're wanting to do and creating those snacks, it's not necessarily about the new mega trend of what is the new and latest ingredient, but it's really a fit for purpose of understanding who our consumers are and what experiences they're wanting to have with our products and then creating products to fit that window. Fantastic. So last question of the day, what's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? So I'll give you the honest answer, and then I'll tell you about an app I'm just impressed with. Um, the honest answer is Snapchat, and that is because we don't have family locally here in Chicago, my husband and I, and we that's how we connect with all of our nieces and nephews. My boys, how they see their cousins is on a daily basis. We're recording their lives, and at the end of the day, we sit down and we watch Snaps, my almost two-year-old's know the word snap. I don't know if that's good or bad, <laughs> but for them, it's all about seeing their cousins on a daily basis. It's not a uh, filtered image or anything different. It's just real life. And that to me has really been critical to keeping us in Chicago, like that we can feel like we know everything that's happening on a daily basis with our family members. Um, but on the flip side, an app that I just think is really cool is, I don't know if you've heard of One Second a Day. It's called One Sec a Day. Um, and this app takes, so if you have an iPhone, you take live motion pictures all the time. And what do you do with those? Not Nothing really, right? They're just there, and you can hold the button down and see the little bit of motion. Uh, but what they did is they actually created this app that said, you know, you have all of these pictures in your phone, and we're going to help you identify a picture from each calendar day over a course of a year, and it streams them together to create a video. So those one-second live motion videos all of a sudden are now these little video clips. 
And we did that for the first year of life of our boys. And it is the coolest thing, you guys. In six minutes, you literally see what it was like from the day they were born to like the day post when they were walking. So it's really cool. Yeah. So it's just like a time lapse of kind of the, the last few years. Absolutely. Compressed down. I love that. Well, fantastic. Thank you for being here today, and thank you for being a, a, a support of EX3 Labs. Um, if listeners want to connect with you, um, is there a specific at handle, or if they want to keep up with Mondelez News, where would you direct them? LinkedIn's probably the best spot. You can find me, Stephanie Miller. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for being here. Awesome. Happy to be here. Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.